The following message is brought to you by Berean Bible Church and may be used and distributed free of charge. For more free audio, video, and text resources, be sure to visit www.bereanbiblechurch.org. Thank you. Good morning, Bereans. Appreciate you being here today. Today is the 11th message in my COVID-19 series. Now, my plans right now are to do one more next week, and then the following week go back to 1 John. Unless something drastic happens in the country that we need to deal with. (laughs) But that's the plan. And, you know, we're going through something people, none of us have ever experienced before. None of us have ever seen anything like this. And so the whole purpose of this series was try to encourage the church during this time. You know, people are anxious today with all that's going on during this event. I mean, they're anxious about getting the virus. You know, people are afraid. Just look at all the people wearing masks. I mean, they're running around and they're afraid, you know, they're going to get the virus. Here's the funny thing to me. The top doc in the country, Surgeon General, Jerome Adams says this, mask increase virus risk. I mean, I wish we could get someone's, some story straight, you know. I wish, wish a couple people would be on the same page so we could hear the same thing. Mass help, mass, mass make it worse, the Surgeon General says. Um, people are anxious about a second wave of the virus because the media is pushing that. Oh, if you go back out, a virus, it's going to get a second wave. Well, Florida has totally disproved that. You know, they've been back in full strength and they're doing just great. People are worried about going to the doctor or the hospital. You know, cancer screenings are down 90% because people are afraid to go. They don't even want to go. So it's amazing. During this COVID event, there's been no strokes, no heart attacks, nothing. No. The only thing that's happened is COVID. So, you know, I think another thing people are worried about is forced vaccines. You know, the army's going to come, the military's going to come and make us all get vaccines. And they're worried about the economy. They're worried about their job because they wonder, am I ever going to go back? People who own places are worried because they try to get their employees back and they're like, I'm making more money on unemployment. I don't want to come back. People are anxious about the government taking away our liberties. And people are worried about running out of toilet paper. That to me is the greatest mystery of this whole thing. I just, I don't get it. No one's ever been able to explain it to me. I can't figure it out. It's not a dysentery virus. And yet... Toilet paper has disappeared. And it's funny because I don't go to the grocery store very often, but when I do, I like going over to this area where the toilet paper is just to see all the empty shelves. And I'm like, amazing. It's just amazing to me. All right? And so this is why I've been sharing things about this QAnon movement with you because I just want to encourage you because I think it's a very encouraging movement. Now, the QAnon movement per se is not a political movement. Okay? It's bipartisan. All right, it's not like, you know, we're all Republican or, no, it's just, they're out for truth. And the QAnon movement wants to educate people in the truth. They want to let people know what's really going on. I see it as a worldwide movement for truth and justice. And that's something I can get behind. Exposing the truth, seeing justice come about. As image bearers, we should all be about justice. Our God is a just God. And, and sometimes you just got to get sick at looking what's going on in the country and say, this justice not anywhere that left the building or what? What's happening? Well, I really think justice is coming back around, people. And I think that in time we're going to see things 
I really believe things are going to get better, and this country is going to get back to normal. But if it ever is going to get back to normal, the first thing that needs to happen is people have to dispel the fear. Because fear is hindering us right now. They're afraid of all kinds of things, and so when you're afraid, it affects the way you act. And for our study this morning, I want to look at a text from Matthew 6, where Yeshua tells believers, do not be anxious. It's a word I think we need to hear, all right? How many of you are willing to admit that sometime during this event, you've been anxious over something? I have. I'm not worried about, I never worried about the virus. I'm like, I don't care about virus. They're, there's always viruses out there, all right? I'm not worried about that. You know what I'm worried about? You know what made me anxious? Government overreach. That's made me anxious. I'm like, oh my word. They're trying to take away all our freedom, you know? And I kind of didn't like the freedoms, okay? Now, I know this is, and I've kind of, Gary Cole brought this up, and, and I was actually thinking about it myself, but this idea that, okay, when the church is persecuted, that seems when it grows, okay? And yet, I don't really want persecution in this country. I want, but, you know, the kingdom of God is not affected, okay, by what's happening, by who's ruling, but the citizens of the kingdom are affected by who's ruling because we live in this country, okay? So I would rather live in a you know, place and my kids and grandkids to have a place where they have freedoms and they can enjoy things, you know, where they're not persecuted. But if it goes south and this country just... Well, right, the kingdom of God is going to still march on. So either way, we win, okay? And that's good news, all right? Well, the emphasis of Matthew 6, 25-34 is on the subject of anxiety or worry. Three times in these verses... Christ gives the admonition, admonition, do not be anxious. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Now, as I said during this COVID-19 event, our society is characterized by worry and anxiety. Much of which I think could be cleared up if you just shut off your TV. Okay? Shut off your news sources. Because don't believe anything, because they keep changing week to week to week, it changes this is bad, this is good, this, you know, just shut it off. You know, if you didn't know anything about it, you would just go on, you'd wonder, am I in China with all these masks around, you know? Yeshua's words in this text, I think, are very practical for us today. He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Now, when he talks about food and clothing here, he's talking about the necessities of life. Okay? That's the issue here. It's not, don't be anxious about your clothes. He doesn't mean you go to your closet, I can't decide what to wear, there's just so many things. That's not the anxiety at all that's being talked about in this text, okay? That's maybe his American anxiety. That's not what they're just dealing with having something to put on, some form of protection, some form of clothing. The basics of life. He says, don't be anxious about what you need to live. God's going to take care of that. For those who are God's children, by faith in His Son, Yeshua says, don't worry. Don't be anxious. You know, we have the great privilege as Christians of being able to live worry-free lives. Because we're trusting in our God. And He's promised to take care of us. Therefore, we don't have to worry about anything. We can just rest in His care because He loves us. Yeshua said, do not be anxious. 
This is a present imperative with a negative. So it's a command forbidding anxiety about food and clothing. Again, necessities of life. The, the command can mean that they need to stop an action that's already going on. The word anxiety is from the Greek word merimnao. It means to be anxious about, to worry, to be concerned for. We are all commanded not to worry about anything. Look what Paul told the Philippians. Do not be anxious about anything. But, here's, instead of being anxious, here's what you do. But, in everything, by prayer and supplication. Now, this is interesting here. With Thanksgiving, it's probably not a good translation. It should be after Thanksgiving. This is meta with the accusative, which would mean after Thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now, think about that. That's how you start out, thanking, Lord, I want to thank you for all I have. And then make yourself, well, I don't really have a lot to ask for, Lord, now that, I've, now that I realize it. Thank you. Don't be anxious, he said, about anything. And here, the Greek construction here forbids the continuance of an action already habitually going on. The word anything is the Greek word medice. And it literally means not even one thing. Don't be anxious about anything. Nothing at all. Meramnao, again, he uses the same word. This is the same word Yeshua used in the Gospels. And here's what's interesting here, people. What is forbidden is anxious care for oneself and one's own interest. That's what you're not supposed to be anxious about. The word meramnao is also translated as anxious in Luke uh, 10.41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You're anxious and troubled about many things. Yeshua is not telling Martha that she shouldn't be serving, but her anxiety was distracting her heart from serving in an acceptable way. She's so overburdened and troubled, like everything depended on her. This word merimnao is translated care in 1 Corinthians 7, 31 and 32. And those who deal with this world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of the world is passing away. Remember, he's writing to saints in the transition period. The form of the world, the old covenant world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. How he may please the Lord. So over and over, Paul tells the believers, he doesn't want them to be anxious. Now, merimnao, anxiety, care, or concern, can be used negatively meaning anxious or distraught over something, some kind of worry in a negative sense, as we've seen in these verses. But it can also be used for proper care and concern. Worry in a good sense, if you could even say that. But it's talking about care, talking about anxiety over something good. Look at Philippians 2, 19 and 20. I hope in the Lord Yeshua to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. The Greek word here for generously is genasias, and it means legitimate or genuinely. Timothy's got the heart of a true disciple. He is concerned. And the word concerned here, again, is merimnao, which means to be anxious, worried, or burdened. What's he worried about? The Philippians. He's worried about the Philippians. I don't know, are they doing okay? Paul uses the same word in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety, 
for the churches. Paul uses the noun form here. The care of the churches was shared by Paul and Timothy. So they're both anxious, they're both concerned about other believers. They're, they're burdened about this. This was the, and it's funny because Paul's been through, in this text, he's through all, I've been beat, I've been stoned, shipwrecked, all these things. The thing that's burdened my heart is the care of the church. He's worried about the churches. He's concerned about the churches. That's what he cares about. It was for the spiritual welfare of others. Listen, people, that is a biblical anxiety. Okay, if you're anxious, if you're concerned for other people's spiritual welfare, that's good. But listen carefully. What we are forbidden to do in our own lives, be anxious, we are commanded to do for others. So when you see this, don't be anxious. He's talking about your concerns, your needs. Don't be worried about that. If you're going to worry, worry about other people. Well, that sounds kind of Christian, doesn't it? Concern for others. 1 Corinthians 12.25 That there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Again, meramna'o. This is our Christian responsibility for other believers using the identical verb, meramna'o. Christian love is seen in being anxious, deeply concerned for others. You know, it's amazing how often we see this reversed. We find ourselves guilty of anxiety about all our own issues and things. And don't care a thing about others. We got it backwards. Well, it should be obvious that Yeshua is using the word meramnao in our text in a negative sense. He's commanding us not to worry about our needs. Listen to what Arthur Pink wrote about anxiety. Not only is such anxiety wrong, it's a sin of great gravity. It is not simply a constitutional infirmity, which we may excuse, a mere trifle, we need not be concerned about, but rather it is a foul iniquity from which we should seek cleansing. To be fearful about the supply of future needs, to be worried that we may be left to suffer the lack of temporal necessities, is to be guilty of wicked unbelief. It calls into question the goodness and care of our Creator. It manifests a lack of faith in His wise and gracious providence. And if we be Christians... It betrays doubt of our Father's love. And surely these are evils of the deepest dye. People, basically, anxiety is unbelief. Because it's a failure to trust God to take care of us. And the way you deal with anxiety and stress is a reflection of your view of God. See, if you know God, if you know that He's omnipresent, you know He's omniscient, you know He's omnipotent, and you understand He's on your side, what would you ever worry about? He's sovereign. And He's working everything out for your good and His glory. We've talked about that. We did Romans 8.28 earlier in this series. And you trust Him for all your circumstances. And therefore, you don't have anxiety. So your faith in God is the bottom line of your ability to deal with anxiety and worry. A knowledge of God, people, is essential in the matter of peace and tranquility. The Bible is the revelation of God so that knowing Scripture, we come to know God. And in knowing God, we come to trust Him. It's hard to trust somebody you don't know. Matter of fact, it's foolish to trust somebody you don't know. Why would you trust them if you don't know them? You can't, that's just blind trust. Oh, I trust you. I don't know you. You've got to know someone to trust Him. And the Bible says those who know His name 
put their trust in Him. We can trust Him if we know Him. And you can have peace in any situation if you know your God and you understand His sovereign control over the universe. You know, when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, it was his theology, his knowledge of God that gave him peace. That's not a good circumstance to be in. Lion's den, okay? They took him and threw him in a pit with a bunch of hungry lions. How'd you like that? That doesn't sound like a good way to die for me, you know, having just torn apart, eating you while you're still alive, okay? So I can't imagine that. But, but Daniel was at ease. He was relaxed. He probably picked out that fluffiest lion and said, lay over here and use him as a pillow. Lay down and he took a nap because he, he wasn't worried about it. Meanwhile, the king, who was in perfect circumstances, living in the palace in Babylon as the greatest monarch in the world at that time, he couldn't eat, he couldn't sleep, he couldn't drink, and he couldn't be entertained. Why? Well, Daniel knew in everything God was in total control. The king didn't get that. So he was constantly troubled. His circumstances were beyond his control, so he just couldn't deal with it. One of the major problems in the church today, in my opinion, is the matter of, in the matter of anxiety is the wide acceptance of Arminian theology. Now, when I say wide acceptance, I mean wide acceptance. Okay, most of the church holds to an Arminian theology. Okay, and I think that's one of the big problems that causes anxiety. Calvinism and Arminianism are at the opposite ends of the theological spectrum. A traditional Calvinism or Reformed theology says God is sovereign, and we mean it. <laughs> okay, sovereign over everything. Because I never met a Christian that didn't say God's sovereign. But then you try to, what does that mean? What does He control? Oh, this or just this area over here? What? No, everything. He's sovereign. And to say that He is sovereign is to declare that He is Almighty, the possessor of all power in heaven and earth, so that none can defeat His counsel, thwart His purpose, or resist His will. I love this verse. Our God's in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. I like the way the Christian standard puts it. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. Whatever He pleases, He does. Because He's sovereign. Arminianism, though, says, in effect, man is sovereign. And God is hopeful and He's helpful. In other words, you've got to find it in yourself to come to Christ. You've got to find it in yourself to stay with Christ. You've got to find it in yourself to accomplish your spiritual goals with the knowledge that God is hopeful and helpful that you will. Because He'd like to see you in heaven if you could work that out. You know, that view, I think, comes from a misinterpretation of 2 Peter 3.9. I've had this verse thrown in my face a lot of times. The Lord is not slack. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. See, God wants everybody saved. But He can't do it. The Arminians take this verse to mean that God wants everybody to go to heaven, but He just can't pull it off without your help. Believe me, if God didn't want anybody to perish, guess what? Nobody would perish. Because that's what sovereignty is all about. He is sovereign. He gets what He wants. What does this mean then? Not wishing that any should perish. Who are the any? You got to back up and find out what's the antecedent of any. In verse one, it's the beloved. He's talking about the elect here, and God's not willing that any of His elect perish, and they won't perish. Okay, context, people. 
The Arminians teach that God is helpful and given the right condition on your part, He'll come along and give you some assistance. Okay? So man comes to faith in Christ and he says, that was pretty smart of me. Pretty smart of me to figure that out and trust Christ, right? Who gets the glory for his salvation? He does. And his confidence in himself is never shattered. He feels like he gained his salvation, so he also thinks he can lose it. All his trust is really in himself and not in God. So God is not sovereign. He's hopeful and helpful. This is a man-exalting theology that denies the truth of the Scripture. The Arminian doesn't understand the sovereignty of God, so he doesn't understand that every circumstance in his life is under the control of God. Peace of mind comes from trusting God, not yourself. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, If you believe that everything turns on the free will of man, you will naturally have man as the principal figure in your landscape. Now you talk about anxiety, okay? This can really cause anxiety. Because man is fickle, man is weak, and you have every reason to worry. Arminian theology is man-centered, and it's the cause of many of the church's problems. The bottom line is, if you're trusting yourself, you're not trusting God. And if you're trusting in yourself, you're going to end up worrying. And you'll be anxious, and you'll be unstable. The Lord says, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Now again, he's talking about the necessities of life here. And he's using what's called here an a fortiori argument. It's an inference drawn from the greater to the lesser. An argument frequently made use of in Scripture. An a fortiori argument is one in the form, if this, then how much more that? You could put it this way. The life is greatly superior to food and the body to raiment. And since God created the life and created the body, is He going to take care of it? An a fortiori argument here is only implicit because the form isn't present. But the thought seems to be something like this. He who provides us with life, with bodies, how much more will He also provide us with the lesser important things like food and clothes? Therefore, the follower of Christ is not to worry about such needs. They're basic. God takes care of your basic needs. If God has given you life, won't He feed you? If He's given you a body, won't He clothe you? These are questions Yeshua is asking us to think about. The reason of Yeshua here is that God has provided the greater. That's His reason. God's provided the greater. He's going to provide the lesser. Look what we read in Luke 12, 25. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If you then are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? So if you can't do the least thing to provide for yourself, why don't you trust God for your provision? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? If God has provided the greater necessities, we need to trust Him with everything else. It's an argument based upon the infinite goodness and unchanging faithfulness of our Creator. He created you. If you're a Christian, He's brought you into His family. You're His child. Don't you think He'll take care of you? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? The manner in which birds of the air are provided with food is a convincing argument to rebuke our unbelief. All right, God takes care of the birds. Will He take care of you? You know that birds have no planting program? They don't have a harvesting program. 
They don't build stuff to keep their food in. That's their characteristic of birds. In spite of that, God takes care of them. They're not worried about too much rain. Oh, we're supposed to plant now all this rain. How are we going to get our crops in? It almost seems like an overly simple illustration, but what's the application? Are you not more value than they? Aren't you more important than birds? The simplicity of it almost goes beyond us. So let me ask you, does God provide for birds? Yep, He sure does. And it's funny, I worked at a feed store for a while, and I understood this a little better. I mean, you wouldn't believe how much money people spend to feed birds for their bird feeders. And I was just like, I'm seeing this and I'm thinking, yeah, God provides and he uses these people. I mean, they're coming in here buying these 50-pound bags of bird seed, you know, and feeding their birds. I'm like, that's cool. God's taking care of them. Aren't you more important than birds? Yeah. So the concluding question is, do you think God will take care of you? We could use the same illustration with our own children. They're important to us, just like we're important to God. I feed my dog every day. You think my children are more important than my dog? Now, some of you got to be careful how you answer that, I guess. <laughs> but do you think I'd feed my dog and let my children go hungry? No, my children are... We're not children of God, doesn't he? You don't think God's going to take care of His children? He's going to feed the birds but let His own children go hungry? And please note here, it is God who feeds the birds. It's not the birds take care of themselves. God feeds them. Scripture affirms this over and over. Let me just give you one. Luke, uh, I mean, Job 38, 41. Who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry out to God for help and wander about for lack of food? God's special and particular province. The dictates of reason would lead us to conclude that those creatures which are incapable of making provision for themselves and laying up store in the summertime against the winter, and yet God takes care of them. God meets the needs of of the feathered creatures. He feeds them in the dead of winter. That should shame us in our doubting, in our questioning. I think if we thought about it for a minute, we'd all probably think, I think I'm more important than birds. Christ didn't die for birds. Okay? The next illustration is to help us understand that worry is pointless. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? The question here is, can you lengthen your life at all by worry? Probably the opposite, because medical experts say that worry actually shortens your life, causes all kinds of physical problems. The basic statement she was making here is it accomplishes nothing. It's worthless. Zero value to it. You can't change your life by worrying, so quite frankly, it's just kind of dumb. It gives you something to do, but you don't get anywhere doing it. It just makes you miserable. We accomplish nothing by doing it. So when we stop and think about it, ah, there's just no point to that. Let's not worry. He goes on, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory is not arrayed like one of these. Yeshua told us, look at the birds, and now he tells us, consider the lilies. The word consider here is from the Greek word katamethano. And it means to learn thoroughly, to note carefully. It also means to concentrate upon, to think about, to meditate upon, to consider. So sit down and and meditate on the lilies for a minute. When you're asked to consider something, we need to get a mental understanding of what's going on here. 
Meditate on this. Think about it. He tells us to consider these things in light of the Scripture. If the Lord takes condescending care for wildflowers, won't He take care of us? You know, Solomon was used as a proverb among the Jews. He was the measuring stick, and the glory of Solomon was the climax of earthly splendor. Yet it says he wasn't clothed like one of these wildflowers. You ever seen wildflowers on the side of the road or, you know, in the boulevard and the highways? Or It's just, you see this beautiful, you know, color. All of them the same color. It's just gorgeous. If the Lord has clothed little flowers with such majesty, why should we be concerned about clothing? And again, not from an American perspective, like, what do I wear of all these, but I need something to put on. Okay? Yeshua is saying, his Father has clothed the flowers individually. Do we need to be anxious about our temporal needs? If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown over into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, or you of little faith? In other words, He's asking us, don't you think you're better than grass? The Lord sent His only begotten the Son to die for us in order to take away the penalty of our sins and give us His righteousness. Shouldn't we believe that He's going to take care of the lesser things, such as physical necessities? This is, again, an a fortiori argument. If God clothes the grass, certainly He'll take care of His children. Now, the last phrase in verse 30, O you of little faith, describes the character and the conduct of believers who are worrying. They're worrying because their faith is little. He's talking about believers. That's who He's talking to. He's not speaking of an absence of faith, but the faith is weak. And I don't know that we really understand this because sometimes we just think of you have faith or you don't have faith. But that's not what the Scripture lays out. The Bible talks about degrees of faith. You know, Romans 4 says, Abraham grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. He wasn't weak, but he grew strong, giving glory to God. So he grew in his faith. In Acts 6.8 it says of Stephen, he was full of faith. 1 Thessalonians 3.10, Paul said he wanted to perfect that which was lacking in their faith. And in 2 Thessalonians 1.3, Paul said, your faith grows exceedingly. James talks about dead faith in 2.17 and 20. And he talks about mature faith in 2.22. So, the scriptures speak of little faith, great faith, weak faith, strong faith, lacking faith, perfect faith, dead faith, full faith, growing faith, increasing faith. There's degrees of faith. Okay? All believers don't have the same amount of faith. Some believers are weak in faith, and so they're worried. They need these admonitions. Yeshua gives about being anxious about things because they're worried about them. Well, the question would be then, how do we increase our faith? Well, hopefully you know the answer to that. There's two main factors which determine the strength of your faith. The first is what? Knowledge of God, which you'll only get from the Word. Okay, It's the only way you're going to grow in your knowledge of God. The more you know God, the more you can trust Him. So you've got to spend time in the Word of God. That's the only way you're going to grow as a Christian. The second element is the application of what we know. See, a knowledge that never ventures out upon what it knows will never be a strong faith. We have to act on what we believe. I believe this, so let's put it into practice. 6.31 and 32 says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things. Your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
God knows that. He says, don't be like the Gentiles. Now, the word here is ethnos. And Gentiles is a good rendering. But here he's talking about the unregenerate. Because at the time that Christ made this statement, the Gentiles were without any written revelation from God at all. And when non-believers encounters fear through circumstances, they have no place to turn. They don't have any faith. Where can they turn? This is the source of their anxiety, their perplexity, fear on every side. And that's why you can understand in this culture we're in right now, what do unbelievers do? Where do they turn? Well, one thing that would help them would be knowledge. Not only just meaning of the Scripture, but knowledge of what's actually happening, because when you understand the truth, truth kind of sets you free. But we as believers, we can trust God. They have no, unbelievers have no place of security. He's showing us the contrast between those who walk by faith, trusting Him, and those who don't. Now the word seek here is from the Greek word epizeteo, and much more emphatic than the translation would give us here. It's to set themselves to seek or seek with all their might. In other words, the Gentiles, they're going after these things with everything that's in them because it's their sustenance. That's how they stay alive, okay? Unbelievers, they don't understand the Lord's providing care. That's why they're filled with anxiety. They can't surrender themselves into the care of the Creator, so they give top priority to seeking everything they think they need. Therefore, they're filled with anxiety. And I guess we have to ask ourselves at the time, how much Gentiles in us? Because we're like, i got to get this done. Well, there's, there's a balance here, people. I'm not saying we just sit home and say, God will take care of us. You do what you're supposed to do, but you don't do it in anxiety. You realize God's there. He's taking care of us. We don't need to worry like unbelievers do because He has just told us He takes care of birds. He takes care of grass. He takes care of flowers. Then he says, aren't you more important than they are? In verse 26. Now he comes back and says, your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. So why are you concerned? Why don't we simply just trust God? He knows what we need. And I don't know what stress you're under or what you're dealing with right now. And, and this, like I said, this COVID event has caused all kinds of stress in people's lives because they don't know about the future. They don't know about work. They don't know about the future of the country. Will the economy ever recover? Will I get this? You know, was the government going to crush me? And when you're hurting, you need to remind yourself, I know someone who cares. I know someone who understands. I know someone who knows, and it's my Heavenly Father. And if we're going to conquer worry, we have to come to the realization that God loves us, and He's going to take care of us. So many people are not really convinced of that fact. Many of them are Christians. But if you really believe that God's in charge, and that He loves you, and He'll meet your needs, you can relax in faith. If you, for some reason, don't believe that God will take care of you, you're not going to be able to relax. You'll feel that it's up to you to take care of all your needs, physically, emotional, spiritual. He says in verse 33, talking to believers, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, strictly speaking, the, the word for kingdom here, basileia, it's a reference to sovereignty rather than to territory or dominion. It's not a, this is not, kingdom is not a geographical sense. The kingdom of God signifies the rule of God. And to seek the kingdom of God is to come under His kingship. To come under subjection to Him as a king. The word righteousness here is dikaiosune, 
And it's, it's a pattern of life and conformity to the will of God. This is not speaking of positional righteousness. It's talking about practical righteousness. Because if you look at Matthew's use of righteousness, the Kyosuni, back in 5.10, you can see he uses it of practical righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, that's not positional. Who's going to persecute you for your position? No one knows it. But they will persecute you for your practice. You start standing up and saying, well, that's wrong. I can't do that. What? Homosexuality is wrong. What is wrong with you? You can't say that. You know, and they get all bent out of shape. You can see here that by righteousness, he means a pattern of life in conformity to God's will. You're not going to be persecuted for your position. The person who seeks for God's righteousness then seeks for conformity to God's will. I want to line up with the Word of God. I want to line up with the Word of God. Now, the word seek here is a different word than seek in the previous verse. The word used in verse 32 is epizeteo, meaning to crave with intense demand or search for, to seek with much earnestness. The word seek here, and seek first the kingdom of God, is the Greek word zeteo, and it means to seek, to desire, to worship. It's got the idea of a hungering, a thirsting, a desire, not a laboring or sweating, more of a just a, a desire to worship. Seek it. Go after it to, to submit yourself to the kingdom of God, to live in a sense of His righteousness. This should be the priority of our lives. And the word first here in our text comes from the Greek word proton, which means first in importance, chiefest of all. So this is high in our priority. We want to seek the kingdom of God. The Lord is saying the first place in priority in our affections has to be the will of God. That's what we put first. We're not worried about all this other stuff. Our concern is the kingdom of God. You know, there, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding of what is meant here by seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. He's talking about our coming under submission to the reign of Christ, setting our priorities straight so that the authority of the Word of God occupies first place in our life. It means to walk under His reign, to live in obedience to the Lord. The more primary, the more central His Lordship becomes in our lives, the less anxiety we're going to have personal anxiety about ourselves because we're concerned with the kingdom of God. So Yeshua is Lord and our responsibility is to live in submission to Him. You know, to call Him Lord and not submit to Him is just kind of hypocrisy. The principle of subordination is absolutely essential in the Christian life. To submit to the kingdom of God, to do what the Word of God says, to live it out. So our first and highest priority is to seek to live in obedience to the King and to walk in submission to His sovereign reign. Remember what Yeshua said, we can't serve two masters. We can't serve the Lord and serve ourselves. He's telling us to seek the kingdom and let that be our highest priority, our greatest desire. It is to do what is pleasing to the Lord, to do His will, and to come under His kingship. Now notice the end of the verse. And all these things will be added to you. All what things? Well, all the things that the Gentiles are seeking after. They're striving for. They're going after. The Lord is telling us, listen, don't worry about all those things. You just walk in obedience to me, and I'll take care of you. The great reward for those who walk in obedience is, he says, I'll give you what they think they have to have and have to provide for themselves. I'll take care of it. 
We're not to be anxious about necessities of life like the Gentiles are. We don't need to add anxiety to our labors. We need to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. In other words, that's what our focus is on, believers. And if you have anxiety, it should be about the kingdom and believers in that kingdom. You know, how are we going to help this believer? How are we going to move forward in this? Not about your personal situation. Not about your necessities in life. God will take care of you. You know, it seems that, if think if we're honest, very few Christians today live at this level of spirituality. Which is why there's so much anxiety and dissatisfaction in our lives. Christ challenges us to really live our lives in such a way that we find our security in Him. Not in our situation. Therefore, He says for the third time, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Yeshua is saying that each day has enough adversity of its own without anticipating tomorrow's problems. Okay, And when you stop and really think about this, where do our worries center? They center in tomorrow, right? Because God provides our needs today, and you already realize you're okay today, but you're worrying about tomorrow, because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But what if I lose my job? What if the business shuts down? What if, what if there's a virus in our country and shuts the whole thing down? What if there's an act of terrorism? I think that's what this is. All those worries are about things of tomorrow. That's the focal point of worry. It's tomorrow. We don't have to worry about today because it's already here. The things we needlessly worry about are something that we're not sure might happen later. Yeshua is saying that He has given you enough for today. You have a place to live. You got food. You got clothing. What about tomorrow? He says there's enough pressure for the day. Don't worry about tomorrow. The concentration in my life is to be on what God wants me to do today. To honor Him today. Submit to Him today. To trust Him today. To trust in His provisions. That great British commentator, Martin Lloyd-Jones, wrote this. thought it was pretty fitting. He said, we look for tomorrow's grace today. God gives us the grace to live in today's situation with today's pressure. He has not given us the grace for tomorrow. Why? Because we're not in tomorrow. So why would He give us the grace for that? That will not come until tomorrow. If God causes me to lose my job tomorrow, I don't have the grace for that today. If I develop cancer and am dying before the week is over, I do not have the grace to handle that today. But I believe God will provide the grace day by day as it is necessary. And so that I do not have the grace to handle tomorrow's situations, all I can do when I focus on tomorrow is worry about it. Because I fear I will not be able to handle it. And that makes so much sense, you know. I mean, and often, I think a good way to understand this is we see people going through a situation and they seem to be okay with it, but it seems to bother us more than them. That's because God's not giving us the grace to deal with their situation. He's giving them the grace to deal with it. And He does that. He gives you the grace you need in your situation. And praise God He gives us the grace that enables us to live day to day. Tomorrow, He'll do the same thing again. He'll take care of us tomorrow. The next day, the same thing. Peter put it this way. 
casting all your anxieties on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. I mean, I just really believe if we get that part, God cares for us. If you believe that, and you know who He is, that should bring you comfort in any and every situation. Instead of worrying, we just need to learn to trust. Remember, anxiety is a form of unbelief. Our focus needs to be seeking His kingdom, to seek to live in submission to Him in every area of our lives. That's our first priority in life. As we do this, He takes care of us. He can provide. I mean, if you're familiar with the Scriptures, you know the provisions that God has provided for His children. I mean, incredible provision. Children of Israel, 40 years He fed them. 40 years. Provided water for them in a desert. Over and over we see the provision of God for His children. And that's why the more familiar we get with the Scriptures, the more relaxed we are. Because, hey, I know God. I know how He takes care of His people. I can rest in that. Believers, if you're dealing with anxiety, it's because your faith is weak in that area. You need to get in the Scriptures, learn who your Father is, rest in His care. He's got us where He wants us. He's got us here for a purpose. Let's learn. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your grace to us, Lord. It's, it is amazing, and we constantly, Lord, need to be reminded of who You are and what You've done for us. Lord, I thank You for this reminder. I do at times get anxious about the government and its overreach. And I have to just realize, Lord, that You're in control. And if the government totally takes over and we become a communist country, the kingdom of God is not affected. You're still on the throne. You're still reigning. We'll still spend eternity with You. Lord, thank You for Your incredible grace to us. We love You. Amen. All right, questions, comments? Gary. Well, I was struck when you were talking about Daniel uh, by your message this morning in the communion. Uh, God talked to David, spoke to David, and didn't say anything to Daniel. It's not recorded that he said anything to Daniel. Daniel right. just totally went along with it. Circumstances, not anxious about anything. But God doesn't have to speak to us for us to be. No, He has spoken to us through His Word. You know, He's given us His Word, the voice of God. We just need to learn it and trust it. You know? Yeah, that's again, you're familiar with Scripture, you know all these stories, you know, you see God's provision over and over, the Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. I mean, it's amazing. The people threw them in the furnace, died because it was so hot. They're standing around in there, chill. They come out and, and the king says, hey, they're God, that's the God we got to worship. You know, that's the good God, all right? That's the God that's powerful. He takes care of things. So it all comes down to people understanding God. And again, I think Arminian theology has done a lot of damage because God is not sovereign in that realm. Okay, go ahead. Um, does the closing of most all-American churches indicate a lack of faith overcome by anxiety and the power of Merlin, or is it a good decision to follow government mandates? 
<laughs> Is it a good decision to follow government mandates? <laughs> Read it again. Does the closing of most all-American churches indicate a lack of faith overcome by anxiety and the power of Rome? Okay, does the closing, well, the government closed them. They deemed us unessential. Now, the church is following that. Does that go for a lack of faith? Um, I, I, my, here's my take on it. In the beginning, I went along with it, okay, because they're like, okay, this is a, we didn't know anything, a horrible virus. Billions and billions of people are dying. You know, we got to do this. We got. All right, after the smoke started clearing, we're like, hmm, we've been given a snow job here, all right? This is not right. And then I'm like, you can't tell the churches we have to close. So I said, let's go back. Okay, they can't, they don't have the right to tell us that. Did a little research, looked into a little bit of the law. Okay, they can't do that. This is America. We have the freedom to meet. Okay, so we meet, we could get in trouble. I'm willing to take that chance. Okay, and we talked about China, and we talked about the people. They meet, and they can end up in a concentration camp for the rest of their life, and they still meet. So I don't know. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's American Christianity. We just want it easy. If it's going to cost us, we're not really interested in anything that's going to cost us. We want it all free. We don't want to have to take a stand. We don't want to have to deal with persecution. They had no right to say the church... And listen, again, if they said everything is closed, okay. But when they say, well, Home Depot, they can be open because it's sick. The virus doesn't go to Home Depot, Okay. <laughs> I mean, you got 300 people in Home Depot, you know, and I've been there plenty of times, you know, walking back and forth, you know, dealing with people, and they put this shield up in front of the cashier, and I'm usually standing over here, over here, you know, not even in the shield, you know, and they don't seem to care, but, you know, it wasn't across the board. Abortion clinics, they can operate, okay, because that's essential that we kill. You know, hospitals, they shut down hospitals, you can't get a, a surgery, Okay, because we're dealing with COVID. And they weren't. The hospitals were not overwhelmed. Again, when we started, those of us who think, and it, you know, a lot of people just don't. They just, I'm told to do this, I do it. I'm not, no, I want to, why? Okay, so yeah, I think we have to, we have to realize this is important. To me, it's important to me as a church. I like being with believers. Encourage me. It strengthens me. God made it that way. So let's get together. And they can't tell us we can't do that. And all the nonsense that goes along with it. You know, someone said this morning, we had Lord's Supper. Boy, they saw this. They'd go crazy. You know? Because nobody's wearing gloves or masks or, you know, sitting six feet apart. You know, We're a family. And families should be able to get together when they want to get together. So I, I, I just think it's American Christianity... They don't want to do anything that's difficult, so the churches went along with it. Some churches stood up, and they got in trouble, some of them. They still stood up, and i got to give them credit. People, we don't change things unless we see civil disobedience. If we just, everything they tell us, we go, okay, okay. And some Christians think we're supposed to do that. No! The rule of the land is the Constitution. Not every crazy ordinance and stuff the government makes up. All right? But we're seeing things starting to open up because of civil disobedience. People are saying, no, we're done with this. And I saw a guy in New York say, look, I'd rather get the coronavirus and die than just starve to death because I can't work and feed my family. I'm opening my business. 
And we're seeing who the dictators are now. <laughs> I mean, have you ever made, has it ever been more clear, okay, who the dictators are? Man, when Georgia opened up, they were all saying, oh, no, they're all going to die. The virus is going to come back. The whole state, nothing happened. And, you know, did they come back later and say, oh, guess what? We were wrong. Georgia's <laughs> doing fine. No, Florida's doing great. Florida's opening up for team sports and youth activities. Get all, go do what you used to do. People, the only way this country will get back to what it was, we got to get rid of the fear. The only way to do that is through education. Knowledge. We've got to understand. You're hearing a lot of different voices. You got to keep digging. You got to keep, you got to be a Berean and search to find out what is the bottom line. The CDC is now saying, oh, this virus doesn't really live on surfaces too long. Yes. It's not really that spreadable. It's not really that, da- you know, everything is changing. Everything is changing. You know, so we just need to be knowledgeable of what's happening. Now, I don't know what's going to happen next week because our governor has been threatening us. You know, he's going to make us all wear a mask. He's not making me wear a mask, okay? Uh, if I'm in jail next week, people, you know, hopefully send me a card. But I'm not wearing, to me, a mask is a sign of fear. Okay, I feel like, you know, these, I feel like I'm in China sometimes with all the masks. And here's the bottom line. Again, I told you, the Surgeon General says masks are dangerous. These masks you're wearing don't stop the virus. The particles are too small. Even if you've got an N95 on, it still goes around. You can't stop it. It just doesn't work. It's a sign of them being able to say, we're telling you what to do, and you do it. It's not helpful. Did I answer that question? <laughs> and then some. Did that stem from a question? Somebody asked that. Stan? You know, you were talking about the mask, and, you know, they were talking about if you touch it. But the main thing, just like when I had a long time ago, gas mask training, you break that seal, you're toast. So if you move it... Well, right. Well, mask doesn't really have a tight seal. That's why. And the virus particles are very small. The surgeons wear those masks not to keep viruses out. It keeps them, when they're breathing and spitting, it doesn't get in the <laughs> surgery that they're doing. You know, those viruses are small particles. Yeah. In the radiation program, and they have to wear an air-fed mask to deal with the radiation contaminants, and the virus is smaller than that. Yeah, did you see the people in some of these hospitals where they're dealing with COVID patients? I mean, they got on full gear, you know, they got on these white suits and masks and all, and they're telling you, oh, just wear this little mask and you'll be fine. No, I don't. Really? Really? All right, Anthony asked a question. What does the part of Matthew 6.30 mean where it states that it's thrown into the oven? I don't understand. What Can you explain? I don't know. I can try. He's just talking about it's burned up. In other words, the heat of the day just fries the grass. It doesn't last long there. I mean, we're talking a, a hot, hot place, and the grass will grow up in the morning, and boom, it'll be burned up by the afternoon because of the heat. So that's and the idea is it's very temporal. The grass pops up, and it's gone. It's temporal. And if God cares about that, you're eternal. He certainly cares about you. Did I get that question, you think? Or Okay, good enough. People, again, we're in unprecedented times. This, things are very different. So we have to keep learning, keep trying to educate ourselves to what's going on. You know, okay, let me get in trouble here, give you my opinion. All right? I've said it many times. I think this Wuhan virus was planned, okay? It's an election year. 
I really think the whole goal of this is to lock us all down until election so they can do mail-in ballots and steal the election. Now, people, mail-in ballots, I mean, do you know how many times they've caught frauds? I read last week one lady, an elderly lady in her 80s, got 75 ballots mailed to her house. 75 of them. I mean, it's crazy, people. It is so corrupt. But see, that's the plan. And the Democrats are desperate because we got A.G. Barr. We got Durham out there, okay? Things are happening. And all the corruption that's been going on is being dealt with. And I think if we're patient, we're going to see some... I'll tell you what. The day after the election, you won't, have to, you won't hear another word about a virus or social distancing or new no, It'll all be gone. It's all about that. And that's why they're crazy. You know, Trump last week announced, I'm taking hydroxychloroquine. He announced it a long time ago that it was good. And when he announced it was good, the media went crazy. And now when he says he's taking it, oh, my word. Here's the hypocrisy. Who hates Trump more than the media? So why are they worried if it kills you? Trump's taking it. They should be going, yay, Trump's going to be dead. No, they want the fear. If you have a cure, the fear goes away. And if they lose their fear, they lose their edge. So they don't want you to know. Listen, the military has 42,000 people right now on hydroxychloroquine. It's been used for over 40 years. It is effective. But they keep trying to force this scare. Don't stay away from that. It's bad. It'll kill you. No. They want to kill you. They want you to stay at home. Again, this is all about election. And they're fighting for their lives because this, things are really changing right now. Okay, President Trump is shutting down their supply you know, he's cut off the, you know, he's making new trade deals. He's changing everything. He's changing the relationship with China. And again, I really believe if Hillary got elected, we'd be communism. We'd be under China right now. Where Trump has changed so many things, he's got the Chinese bowing to us now. He really does. He has changed, you know, the supply chains. He's moved them around. We're not dependent on China. And it's going to be more and more. Any American company is going to have to leave China or they're going to be they're going to be levies on them so heavy they won't be able to exist anymore. And that's good, okay? And it's good. And, he, and we're going to be dealing with those that are friendly with us. You know, I think good things are happening, people. I really do. But it's going to be, let me tell you something, from now to November 3rd, it's going to be hell. It's going to be. They're going to pull out every stop. They're going to do everything they can to take down this president, to stop this president from what he's doing. And so I just encourage you to pray. Pray for our country. Pray for this president. If you want to live in a country that you have some freedoms and you can enjoy some things, then pray. All right? If you, if you think the idea of persecution will make the church better, which it will, then uh, pray for the Democrats to win, and we'll all find out what it's about. Stan. I think California, they changed it to uh, mail-in ballots. But the guy that won, the governor right before that, you see he was up 11 points. In-person voting, and some one court said no, 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 and that's he won on mail-in ballot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Garcia, I think his name is. Well, they're definitely trying to, you know. We should just postpone the election and try for the virus at time. Well, my thought was if they do away with voter IDs, can we just ride around to each precinct? <laughs> yeah. 
pass more Well, votes. David thought that that was the way it was last Tuesday for the election, but they asked for our ID. Well, I asked the lady, I said, do you need my ID? She's like, yes. So I was I, surprised that too when we voted, because I thought Northam yeah. had done away with that, yeah. but yeah. they asked, yeah. and I was glad. Oh, but you know what? I don't think any of his, the laws come into effect until July. I think you're right. I think is. you're right. Ours was overturned by the liberal Obama judges in North Carolina. But people, all we have to do is open our eyes and we can see this is not about a virus. It's so clear to see. It's not about a virus. It's about a political climate that is full of corruption. And I mean, even, you know, almost anybody now that has their eyes open could see that the Obama administration was the most corrupt administration we have ever had. I mean, they violated, I mean, the FBI was corrupt, CIA was corrupt, they're all corrupt, and Trump is cleaning house. Okay, and trying to put things back in order. And Barr, to me, is a symbol of justice because he's going to, he's just so calm when he talks. He's just so relaxed. But he is, don't, don't let that fool you, man, because he is behind the scenes. He is all about justice, and he's locking it down. And there's, people are going to be going to jail for these crimes they've committed, but it's going to take some time. It's a, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. You know, we'd all want it to happen right this minute, okay? I heard last week from good source that there's a sealed indictment against Fauci for treason. Mm. And that excited me. I'm like, okay, Gitmo, here we come, all right? I mean, there's so much going on behind the scenes, so much corruption in these organizations like the World Health Organization. That's anything but health, okay? And Trump cut off the supply to that, all right? Of course, Bill Gates is the second largest, or he actually is the largest supporter of the World Health Organization because he has two organizations giving. So even without our money, Gates can take care of that, okay? And he wants to, you know, oh, we could go on and on. Isn't it fun? You know, if it wasn't for the sovereignty of God, I don't, you know, I'd be crazy with everything that's happening, you know? But I just, no matter what's going on, I can rest. And I'm like, you know... I mean, people get all mad about, I'm pro-Trump. If you don't like it, I'm sorry. But, you know, I think God put him in there. But listen, listen. I think God I think God put Obama in there. Okay? God, the Bible says, you know, God raises up leaders. He gives us who we deserve. This is what puzzled me. We don't deserve a man like Trump as, as America. I mean, as corrupt as it is. We don't really, that's what scares me. We don't, he's a grace gift. Because he is out to help this country get better. You know, to stop so much of these people flooding our border, to cut off, you know, the child trafficking that's going on. And that's going to be coming out. You're going to see what's really happening, I think, not too long in the distant future. But he's doing so many. That's the thing. No one knows what he's doing. Because who's telling you? The media's not saying anything. They're silent on anything that he does. But, I mean, the trade deals that he's got done, he got us out of that Iran deal. I mean, he's fixed so many things already. And believe me, right now he's working to deregulate so much stuff that small businesses are going to be popping up and getting going. And you know, he, This crazy red tape, you know, this pushed all the businesses out of our country. He's bringing them back. It's going to be a great place to have business because he's taking that away. It's going to be the greatest. And I'm telling you, yeah, it's going to be the greatest. We've never been a country like it before. He's going to, you know... Get rid of the federal government, I mean, the federal bank. He's going to do away with the federal bank. He's working on, you know, people don't understand this, but already he has merged the federal bank with the treasury. He's in charge of the treasury. He's got total control of that. 
He's doing away with income tax. He said many times, I want to stop payroll tax for the rest of the year. No, he's going to do away with it, but you've got to start somewhere. You think after we've not had income tax for six, eight months and we say, oh, we're going to bring it back again? No, how much more money is going to be in your pocket when you don't pay income tax? This economy, listen, this guy knows what he's doing. He's not a, like Obama was a politician that never did anything, but community organization, you know, yeah, he never did anything. This is a businessman who's had businesses fail. You say, well, that's a bad thing. No, it's a good thing because he knows how to take a failed business and get it back going. You know, you don't want somebody who never had a failure. Oh, now they just fall apart. I don't know what to do. This guy knows what he's doing. And he's got a, a business head on him, and he's putting things together to get this country roaring. And I think by election time, the economy is going to be so good that people are going to just, their eyes are going to be open and saying, wow, this is. Because, you know, they were calling it, well, that was Barack Obama's economy. That's what he left, which is so stupid. Okay, now what are they going to say? Now they're calling this Trump's economy. Okay, so Trump will show you what he'll do with his economy then. And he'll get it up and running and just pray, people. Like I said, it's between now and election time. I mean, the gloves are off. It's going to get ugly because they're fighting for life, literally life. Because some of them, if you're found for treason, they're going to be hanged. They're going to be put to death. And that's a good thing. Huh? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that would be nice. But let me tell you. Gitmo, Gitmo is fully up and running to receive all these corrupt. Yeah, he's expanded Gitmo. I mean, he's you know things. You know, so much is happening, people. So much is happening. <laughs>